Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to a podcast that is going to make you very appreciative of what Adam Wilborn does in his profession, the NXT Review. I'm your host, Michael Sidgwick, and I'm joined by my fellow Dadly boy, Michael Hamflit, to discuss everything that went down on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We review Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, pay-per-views. We hold wrestling roundtable discussions, we conduct wrestler interviews, and we also host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. God damn it, that's hard to get out. Second attempt, but we got there in the end. <laughs> it was um, NXT last night, Michael Hamflit. We were kind of down on the show in the preview, purely because there were dickheads enough to fire Everise, but I enjoyed the show, and I'm legitimately hyped for next week. I'd be interested in your thoughts, because we are usually... I know we both kind of hate this show at this point, but I honestly thought last night was too strong. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, it's never really a problem with the in-ring. It's often as much to do with the stilted dialogue, as which, as you have proven there, it's not as easy to remember a lot of like heavily scripted lines, and they have to go out and do that every single week to try and make stories feel authentic. Um, it often undermines it, and there was two segments here where I thought they would, and they didn't. So like, just a total sigh of relief that neither of those segments bombed. The in-ring kept up its sort of like consistent quality i don't want to always say awesome but it's of a consistent standard um and yeah a uh, rare effective go-home show in nxt they're not masters of this by any stretch and i thought in terms of yeah getting hyped for the great american bash this did absolutely everything it needed to yeah absolutely it wasn't blow away in ring but that is not what this function to do this function to get you hyped for the blow away ring experience that you're going to get next week in that card I think on paper it's good. That's never the problem with NXT and its roster. But my God, like I'm actually actively buzzing for the Great American Bash. I think if that peaks and if it doesn't get your usual NXT indulgence in terms of match lengths, etc., I think this could be one of the TV shows of the year. Like it genuinely looks amazing. On the subject of amazing, the opening match it wasn't quite that, but I thought this was really, really good. Like really, really strong. I've had my issues with the NXT women's tag team matches of late. It just feels like a lot of moves with the Z happening. This was very much consistent with that in-ring approach, but for whatever reason, the way it was arranged, I thought this was strong. I'm also not going to give you a move-for-move rundown. I'm not <laughs> good at um, Adam Wilborn as this. And more to the point, there was so much action and it was structured so well that I kind of forgot in the moment what was happening because I was just on the hook for every last move. Um, but the basic gist of the match was like a three-parter, if you like. It was all about subduing, downing Raquel Gonzalez with the idea being that she's massive, she needs to be thwarted if anybody else is going to get a lick in and get the, the opportunity to challenge for the women's tag team um, titles. So that was a thread. In between all that, Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon were just doing stunning stuff. Like, they were so locked in that it made me feel guilty about burying their dorky-ish tag team last week. <laughs> everything they did looked crisp. And between all that, the main thread was Shirai and Stark slowly working to learn together. And they ultimately got the pin after about, what, 12 minutes of just pulsating action that I genuinely thought was one of the best NXT women's tag team matches of the year. Yeah, loved it. And like this just had no right, ultimately. I, why, what a victory for 
I was going to say for like construction and execution, but I guess the whole point of these types of matches is the execution should never be in doubt. We're not dealing with trainees at this point. We're dealing with, with the exception possibly of Shotty Blackheart, like some of the more polished wrestlers in all of NXT. And when she isn't polished, it's because she's the good kind of reckless. So execution shouldn't be a concern, but there's so much going on that like service this rather elegant construction that that's where I would have expected maybe things to go wrong or there to be like a little bit of hesitation that breaks the immersion, which we talk about sometimes when it does, but there wasn't. Um, Blackheart and Moon just having all these cool double teams um, almost like broke up the flow so they could start moving on to the next bit. Loved, loved, loved the work that was done on the Io Shirai and Zoe Stark relationship in this match. Um, so many times, like little touches that I just really appreciated. Just the idea that every now and then Zoe Stark would pull out something awesome, then kind of look over her shoulder to show that little thread of inexperience that she's got and the, the need that like she does need Io Shirai, but she can also do all these really cool things. They're telling a really great story that I can't quite figure the end of out. It's either that these go all the way and they win the tag team titles, or, and this is how I think it's going to go, they fall painfully, agonisingly short, and over time, Io Shirai starts to, like, show respect and show a bit of... No, she said she respected her, I guess. Show that she quite likes Zoe Stark. She's she's grown accustomed to her face. And then that's, <laughs> perhaps, and then that's perhaps when Zoe Stark says... I, sh- I shouldn't have needed to do that all along. Like, I had all the skills. Turns out I didn't need you. And maybe that causes the rift and the split between the two. That all of this was rooted in that awesome, like, breakout match that Stark had all those weeks ago. Again, we talk about it sometimes. With NXT, one thing more than most, I, ju- I just want to know that there's a process. I just want to know that there's a whiteboard backstage. And I think all of this is on that. And I, I think that was what this match existed for. And I love that. Yeah, it was a total departure from these blurry moves with the Z matches because I genuinely got the thread of we are trying to create a coherent, very effective title caliber tag team in front of your very eyes throughout 15 minutes. And the vehicle we're going to drive to reach that goal was a banger of a match. Like, this is really elegant storytelling. I thought the action was really strong. Um, yeah, I was really high on this. I'm like everything there is a good and a bad version of everything i'm always ready to drop the idea that you know what two single stars in the tag teams automatically rubbish and um, it was kenny omega and hangman page that completely and utterly mastered the formula and just told you you can do anything you can do mm. any old troop and if you perfect it it's still absolutely great this to a lesser extent was that i was totally willing to buy them as a tag team because that was the main thread of a match that just arranged its chaos really elegantly. It just didn't feel like an excuse for Vic Joseph to shout. He did shout. He did shout. <laughs> minus half a star when he shouts. But yeah, this is well surpassed the uh, Gentleman's 3 I was expecting. And on the subject of Gentleman's 3, Karrion Cross was jumped <laughs> backstage, by the way, as we cut backstage and a little bit of a receipt, if you like, for last week. Um, it furthers the idea of the Samoa Joe thing, I guess. And they stumbled kind of arse backwards into, like a trope facilitator with the Samoa Joe um, role. They're just doing the exact same thing that they've always done, but there's someone frowning in the background now, disapproving of it. Or, depending on his personal inclinations, he quite likes it. So it's an added dimension, I guess. It excuses, I suppose, the most perfunctory of builds. But the dynamic here is quite strange. I'm watching this thinking, and it gets developed throughout the night. I'm watching this thinking, if you're a casual fan. Not that there's any such thing, but if you're like a floating voter, if you like, there are differences in these numbers week to week. If you're someone who isn't ardent and just completely established in your viewing patterns of this show, you're probably going to think, he's baby face. Who's the... <laughs> but the kind of only dynamic they can tell here is, right, well, Johnny Gargano's been a heel. He's still kind of a heel, but he's so much more likable and popular than Karrion Cross, so his heel stuff isn't quite as detestable in this dynamic. Uh, what did you make of this attack? Can we do the whole night in relation yeah, well, to that sort of discussion? Because there's a lot of this. And as you, as you say, like Samoa Joe basically kind of became an avatar for William Regal here because whereas normally Regal would show up with security to break up fights but then couldn't really do much, Joe does that and then potentially stares down the people involved. And that's the only real difference between the two. So I wasn't super keen on that. I think this was everything that you alluded to there in how you lay out Karrion Cross and Johnny Gargano as neither heroes nor villains particularly we live in a society but I think 
I think it failed. Uh, like, if I'm honest, I thought this was all, as one story, the weakest element of this show. Um, it was... So Johnny Gargano attacking in the manner he did. I love that they had to set up carrying across to walk past the garage door, that short three or four foot, just so Gargano could charge him into it. But that was set up to make it look like Gargano would sort of jump him in a sneaky way, but not from behind. Does that make sense? Like right. that, he wasn't, he wasn't jumping him from behind, but he was, it was kind of a, a bastard's trick to get him like that. And it was just this playing them both as neither one thing or another just didn't really work for me. Um, is carrying cross brave because he'll fight, he'll happily fight off Gargano and theory as we got later on the show. I thought that was an error because I think there were too many echoes of the Legado del Fantasma story there. And in that angle, Karen Cross was very much presented as the heroic babyface fighting from a three on one disadvantage. So I thought that's what that looked like. Um, Gargano's bit at the end, I was like, ah, guess it just wasn't your night, Johnny NXT. It's like, uh, like, is he a hero or is he just a complete loser for just getting embarrassed by Cross? Uh, like, none of it. Like, I know that none of it was clear by design, but it was the same as a viewing experience. I couldn't latch on permanently to either. And after last week's, like, in-ring from Gargano, seemingly positioning himself, not as, like, the old Johnny Gargano heart on the sleeve baby face, but as, like, a workhorse, as a guy that just knew deep down he could out-wrestle Karrion Cross. I kind of thought that's where we were going, and this felt like a, a pretty big step backwards from that. For whatever reason, I don't know if I just enjoyed the show and I was in a good mood um, to receive it. I didn't mind the parking lot stuff. Mm. I got like kind of Daniel LaRusso vibes. <laughs> just this little pissant who'd taken it too far when he had kind of justification to try and fire back and he was just completely overwhelmed by the five guys that Karrion Cross is in his head. He's mm. the whole Cobra Kai dojo. That's how hard Karrion Cross <laughs> is. And it just felt like you were meant to look at Gargano as, are oh, you pitiable little tosser? Look what you've got yourself into. And look, theoretically, how much you're going to actually have to have a fight when you actually work him in the match. I don't know. He just looked, I just felt sorry for him. I don't, I don't want to feel sorry for a baby face unless it's some really elegantly crafted art. But I just thought, Johnny Gargano of 2018, you're not quite dead yet, are you? It's The thing is, it's not happening at the bash, right? But two things, Gargano doesn't remotely feel like he's going to win, which is a shame. Like, we want this belt off Karrion Cross, And this cannot, this absolutely cannot be a takeover match. So I've got, like, I've got concerns on two fronts there. This surely just has to be a television main event. And Karen Cross winning an all-heels television main event, retaining his title, that just doesn't do it for me. So I, I don't know, like, if, if I can get much more excited about the remaining course of this feud. You give me the odd lip on this podcast. It's a lovely transition into what happened next following the announcement of the breakout tournament. And a nice transition. We got a backstage interview with Bronson Reed, who, of course, starred in them and talked about it. Like, they're trying to make it a thing. It's not those matches were bad. And everyone who got over following the breakout tournament did so just in the normal course of things. Like, the breakout tournament wasn't bloody, you know, the G1 Climax or anything like that. Let's face it. Am I right in thinking Jordan Miles got the shot against Adam Cole? And then they made that horrendously offensive T-shirt, and that was it for him. Like that's that's why they can't talk. Out. It's like it's like a, like the King of the Ring the year after Mabel won it. Can't be like that's why they couldn't like say it's going to be super prestigious when Steve Austin gets it. He was conspicuous by his absence in the hype for it. I did yeah. notice that. But following on from your concerns about if it's not a takeover match, it's going to TV match. It's going to be a TV match rather. You know, the TV match has this sort of Sisyphean task of making you believe that a title switch is imminent. But we got one out of literally nowhere tonight. So it's not quite the ghetto principle that I like, where you create this big shock that reverberates um, so seismically that the next one, two, three years are just sort of laced with this, this inherent drama. However, Bronson Reed was challenged and, spoiler alert, lost his North American title on this very show following that very segment. Um, I don't think that was at all coordinated, but um, we shall see. Uh, yeah, Bronson Reed was backstage talking about the breakout tournament, blah, 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 and he was challenged by um, Top Dollar and the Swerve Scott and the rest of Hit Row to put his North American title on the line later in the show. We kind of know why this happens, we think. Bronson Reed... Um, in addition to Shotzi Blackheart, I believe, um, Karrion Cross and Scarlett Bordeaux separately have been called up to have tryouts 
<laughs> it's not like working GCW. Like you've got the tape. You can you can ask Triple H. You see him every you see him every day. <laughs> What's this one like? Oh, he's big. That'll do, pal. An Thick. odd, inexplicable development that probably explains what happened to close out this show. Um, what do you think about the way they got there? And could you? It's one of those where NXT is almost always damned, and it almost always has been to just be at the mercy of what Vince McMahon wants to do with what is ultimately his thing. Um, they couldn't really have done anything else if the order is get him up and get that strap off him. Truthfully, there's not a thing I don't like about this. I want us to return to the culture of call-ups. I think mm-hmm. NXT is desperately needed call-ups. I've been an advocate for like folding NXT into the draft at this point. Let's just try some Raw and SmackDown guys on NXT. If you're going to keep up with this third brand pretext, then let's make it so. Like this show misses that call-up culture, so I'm in favour of that no matter how it happens and no matter what it does to potential plans and storylines, because I think it keeps NXT far fresher as a result. Um, I'm not comparing the North American title, which I don't think is a horrendously booked belt. I'm not comparing it to the TNT title, but what AEW isolated in the t- like, sort of realised with the TNT title was that it's the one belt that as long as you don't take the piss with it, you can absolutely deliver major shocks or you can subvert the expectations of your audience when there is a title match on television as we talk about and i think with this tonight this setup um with the recent precedent of say leon ruff defeating johnny gargano (laughs) nxt have kind of like mirrored that um i don't know whether or not they've just seen it and stolen it but like it's actually in a roundabout way it sort of made the north american title feel more prestigious because Bronson Reed had to go on this insane journey to win this thing. And they did a really good job of getting him, like kind of making him almost with that cage match win over Johnny Gargano. And you felt here that sort of that sinking feeling, oh, spoiler alert, obviously when he loses in the end, like you really felt for him, like that felt like a loss. And for a company, a parent company at least, where titles mean so little, I think they're kind of onto a bit of a winner with doing these title changes with the North American title every now and then. It doesn't have to be all the time, and it certainly can't be always, but they just about time it right. And with that precedent established, I was kind of on the hook for this change. This wasn't the, as I've just said about Gargano and Karrion Cross. this wasn't, oh, Christ, we've got to get to that formality. It's very much, oh, you might do this here. And in terms of, you know, we'll talk about it in the match, it was probably everything Hit Row needed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can't describe this as anything other than like a back-against-the-wall smash success. I think a lot of the drama was informed by our knowledge of backstage reports. Like, if you watch NXT, you are in this bubble very much so. And you know what? Why don't you play with that? And there was some more way stuff, and then battery! <laughs> it was Headfield, just like I can't do any other accents. It's at 61%. It's Tegan Knox recovering from injury. At this point, I hope it is because, you know, she's like, she's class and she's had the absolute worst look. Um, but your feelings on that changed at all? Uh, still awesome, even more so if it is Tegan Knox now that we've kind of ruled out the Roderick Strong thing. Um, I, I was assuming that it was going to pay off at the bash. I don't know. Did we have another battery update later on in the show? Um, I can't recall if I'm being... <laughs> 39% is a lot to get through in one two-hour special next week, so maybe we'll have to keep waiting. It's just like Goldberg streak, like... If you're the kind of dog on Reddit Squared Circle and you're going, hmm... Well, if you look at the uh, the sequencing of this battery, I don't think it charges like a normal battery. In fact, yeah, you're just a total toss. Uh, I think it just if you, if you see the acronym of Great American Bash, you'll notice that it's Gab, and that's the first half of Gabbo. So I think <laughs> she's going to be here next week. All the fans at Full Sail are racist SOBs. <laughs> okay, there was some more. To be fair, they were actually loud tonight which I think helped enormously. Um, and again, it's another testament to how quietly very good that, you know, disposable all-action opening triple threat was. Um, so, yeah, we should mention the crowd because they actually felt like they wanted to watch a wrestling show, and that, as ever, was infectious. Um, I don't want to talk about infectious when we're talking about COVID crowds in the US, so we will move swiftly on to the reintroduction of Diamond Mines Roderick Strong in a effective showcase match against Asher Hale. Asher Hale did get some offense. Um, some of it looked pretty damn good as well, but this is mostly just right. What we've got here is a recharged Roderick Strong with a renewed mission statement to be a incredibly hard bastard leading a group of hard bastards. And he worked snug. He worked a decidedly different style. 
Um, it was far more MMA influenced, but it was essentially a, I would say a banger squash hybrid. Maybe mm. bangers generous, but I was way more entertained by this. It was such an over delivery of a show, to be fair. Um, and he debuted the submission and entered basically an incredibly stiff, assured, convincing performance, thereby presenting himself as someone you probably wouldn't want to wrestle anytime soon. Yeah, I thought this was really effective. It was, it had to, it couldn't just be, I mean, Roderick Strong does a load of backbreakers. So there's like, that's gritty enough, but there had to be a slight adjustment to go along with this diamond mine idea. Um, whatever it is that Bivens has done with these guys, you know, he's, it's, there's a, like open for business was the phrase, wasn't it, that he said, and it was on the screen and everything. So there's this kind of, this idea that it's maybe this, like Timothy Thatcher adjacent training school come fight pit come whatever where they all just batter each other with their cruelest and hardest moves so whilst you needed like lots of the old uh, Roderick Strong to like remind you of who you missed you also needed like a slight upgrade to the style just to get over the new gimmick in that regard I think the whole thing was a success um I was actually hoping for a little bit more so maybe that's no bad thing Maybe they just didn't give the game away in week one. Like, last week was a pretty powerful debut. Um, I love it when a stable debuts by absolutely destroying somebody, then effectively no-sells the damage they did the following week. Like, we know full well that they want Kushida's title, and it's a part of their MO. But Kushida was a non-factor to them this week, and they're going to have to pay for that when he makes some sort of heroic return, and he finally, like, roars back or something like that. It's, it's going to heat up that match, presumably with Roderick Strong, quite nicely. So, yeah, um, they didn't over-egg it. I thought this was just about right. Um, I know there'll have been sort of probably calls for a little bit more in the way of maybe some, like, WWE-style motivations or exposition or whatever, but we we don't need them coming out and cutting 15-minute promos on reminding us what happened last week and telling us what's going to happen this. I think this was probably more effective. Yeah, absolutely, especially when you're trying to think of this in the context of a TV show that is focused on the immediate short-term destination of uh, the Great American Bash, you probably don't want to have Michael Biven, uh, Malcolm Bivens cut this um, very lengthy explanatory promo and a really long match because it's going to get lost amid what should be an awesome Great American Bash card next week. So I would say this was quietly auspicious, is how mm. I would describe it, but I'll never not want to hear Bivens on the mic, but they're not going to give up on it, I don't think. Um, at all. Um, up next, Cameron Grimes is in a match that basically functioned as an excuse to cut a post-match promo and arrive at an in- interruption, by the way, of L.A. Knight. It was okay. I'll never remember it. It was <laughs> Cameron Grimes telling people to kiss his grits, which is basically, um, to quote the great Ben Roy Turner of what culture, telling his opponents to suck his arse. Um, <laughs> a standard win. And in, like, in under three minutes, it functioned basically to um, arrive at the post-match and Ellie Knight came out to laugh at Cameron Grimes quite literally and he did the tease. We know it's a tease. We know the heel is going to do this to be spiteful and he's not going to actually agree to the match. But Ellie Knight is a living trope who also transcends tropes. I'm always trying to articulate LA Knight. He's such a bizarre guy to get sort of a grasp on. But a living trope who transcends the trope that he is, I'll take that. I'll take that. And I think his promo was very, very good. Cameron Grimes is short and nothing and functional. But ultimately, I just like seeing these guys interacting. I'm becoming an LA Knight guy. I like I like that you struggle too. I've missed the actual lead. I'm sorry. I've missed the actual lead. Of course I have. Because I'm not Adam Wilborn. Here's the thing. I don't have the appetite to um, incite Mutant Wars anymore. I could say that this is a rip-off of the AEW angle um, from just a few months ago, but there are two things. One, it's kind of happened way more than it ever should in pro wrestling history, mm. so it's not something that AEW invented. And two, I think this works a lot more for this particular dynamic if it goes in that direction. So what do you think? Um, it's probably more preview uh, fodder um, than anything else for the bash. But rather than thinking of, is Cameron Grimes going to become the butler, what do you think of the actual stip? Got to save oh. some preview next week. Yeah, I know. 
it's it's not terribly for me. I was going to say that I quite enjoy you struggling to articulate what it is you feel about LA Knight because LA Knight has spent his whole career struggling to articulate what he feels about The Rock. So <laughs> it's like one mirrors another. Um, I don't know. You know this. I didn't like the stipulation when they, like it, you're right. It's more it's more organic here than it was in the use of AW. Was it Miro and the best friends? Aye, it was like <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad because I think Trent's injury. Um, derailed the original plans and you know that's not an excuse to justify how bad it was I'm just saying it's an explanation so the crack was um, Miro challenged him to be his butler if he lost the match he lost the match he was his butler for like all of two weeks it was only ever going to be two weeks as well which is the key difference mm. Orange Cassidy sold it like he was Charlie Brown and devastated that he'd lost his friend the idea was they had a plan hatched ahead of the um the wedding, wasn't it? The wedding, but the idea that Miro was going to buy it as a plan was bad. The idea that Orange Cassidy was upset before hatching the plan and he had kind of basically Butler stuff sucks. And I agree. It's, I don't like Butler stuff. I don't like I've got to be your assistant stipulations. I, it's one of them things of all the everyone's got their own, I suppose. There'll be a lot of like older school you know, this is like like Southern Territory booking stuff, you know? Like, there'll be a lot of like old school fans that'll probably be like nodding sagely with their arms folded and being like, yeah, classic stuff from NXT, looking forward yeah. looking forward to the skits. Yeah, can't wait for the skits. It's like, ah, can. I, this is one of them things I struggle to buy. Like, everyone's got their own things. When a wrestler agrees to this, they theoretically agree to consistently being around their most hated rival and I, for whatever reason there's a disconnect there in my suspension of disbelief like whenever Cameron Grimes is around LA night he should want to get that million dollar title belt back and he might be clever enough to hatch a scheme for example but ultimately you should be wanting to fight him and wanting to get him and I can barely tolerate the ramp as like the invisible wall that stops Grimes from charging at LA night I really struggle to watch the bits where like LA Knight's going to get him to dust his mansion or whatever, or like we're going to see Cameron Grimes be made to clean the pool, but he's going to take a piss in there or he's going to take a dump in there or whatever. Like, uh, they're those skits. We talk about it sometimes. That It's the skits that are the difference between actually sat at home laughing at his screen and going, huh, that's funny. Like, it's such an enormous difference in that emotion. And I just, that's where I feel this ends up. I don't want, um, LA Knight to win and he kind of has to for all of this to to be worth it I don't like I don't, I don't like the Butler stuff I'm reminded of um, Steve Austin and Ric Flair fighting over who was going to be the other one's assistant and Steve Austin doing that um, nuclear waste piss on uh, Arn Anderson well, <laughs> back in 2002 A lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, can't wait for more of that. Um, Io Shirai and Zoe Stark were um, filmed backstage for an interview. Um, the way it interrupted, they sort of wrote them off as challengers incredibly boilerplate stuff but you know you kind of have to do this for the goldfish watching um, i'm not one of them so i was bored and i'm not really going to talk about it um can i can i interject though i think there wasn't a detail here a detail here candice larae's um inference that eo shirai was a sore loser i thought was like a really great choice because you are setting up something next week if and when um shirai and zoe start fall short that shirai is going to like not exactly be a mate to Zoe Stark. And all of that is played off the fact that how did Shirai first turn on Lorraine in 29, 2018? 2019 was because she kept losing to uh, Shayna Baszler. She turned on her after that cage match when she tried, like, all of their hatred is informed by, like, Candice Lorraine remembering that and what has once hurt her has now become something she's trying to use against the Shirai to, like, get in the head. I thought that was, like, a nice detail using something from their past that's almost certainly going to inform the next stage of the Shirai Stark story. You like NXT way more than the people who really claim to like it a lot. That's why, <laughs> that's why we get you on these goddamn podcasts. Up next was the Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole slash Samoa Joe showdown. And the gist of it was Riley, sorry, Kyle O'Reilly um, spoke. He was interrupted. Adam Cole claimed that Kyle O'Reilly was obsessed with him, which was, I guess, delusional heel patter. And Kyle O'Reilly, in response, accused Cole of being obsessed and listed down the reasons why that might be. Adam Cole completely no-sold this, and this is the difference. L.A. Knight, right? I don't know if he's a star. I like how much he aspires to be a star that I just let him be one. I really do. Adam Cole is an actual superstar. He is grotesquely miscast. And when he said out loud in Kyle O'Reilly's face, I am the star, you fell under my skyline, you are the walk behind her, I'm the follower, all that kind of stuff, he actually projected himself as a star. There's such a conviction in Adam Cole's words. He's such a blinding performer. And what I mean by that is this guy has got the most magical smile. He's got eyes he can swim in. He's the nicest goddamn bloke. You ever seen him like any excerpts from him on like Twitch? Yeah, he's lovely, isn't he? He's just the best bloke. And yet, put a microphone in his hand. He will appear to be a complete megalomaniac dickhead. There was a killer line in this spiel when he was talking about he's a real star around here. Everyone knows it. Even your wife knows it, Kyle. <laughs> I'm thinking, yes, you are obviously super dedicated in love with Dr. Britt Baker. And yet I can believe that you would ruin the sanctity of someone's marriage just to be an arsehole about it. Um, this is, again, I think worlds apart from the build to um, Stand and Deliver, I think it was, that match that um, any minute now should be about to draw to a close. <laughs> um, my problem with this whole segment, right, which ended via a beatdown and Samoa Joe not calling out the hounds until Adam Cole had just got a little bit of a, a, little bit of a kick in there, uh, which furthers two feuds. Not that this feud can end up in the ring, but that's another topic for another day. Um... The key difference for me, in fact, sorry, the only flaw for me is that I like Adam Cole more than I like Kyle O'Reilly. Did you feel this too? Exactly the same. Exactly the same. I thought this was good. Um, I thought like I was, I wasn't dreading it exactly, but I wasn't relishing more of this, more of like head-to-head, face-to-face stuff between Cole and O'Reilly. Um, but this was way more what I wanted. Uh, the you can, for, for all that you can maybe be critical of NXT's heavy-handed scripting, there was thank Christ. A heel and a baby face here. Like, how necessary is that felt in all of their feuds, let alone Colin O'Reilly for the first time around? Also, goddamn intense and gritty. Not anymore. We've got a, we've got a, like, a bad guy in Adam Cole. As much as he is the nicest guy, he's a snake here. And, like, Kyle O'Reilly's got to try and cut that head off next week. So I love that that was, like, nice and crystal clear. And I enjoyed the, um, Joe Teeth personally. I, like, the, I, I don't know if Joe's just, like, trying to work everybody else into a shoot, 
But those comments he made in that recent interview about, in his mind, he's working towards a return, even if WWE don't see it, I think makes teases like this more fun. Um, this was once Samoa Joe and William Regal, wasn't it? And that match didn't materialise because William Regal didn't put the tights on one last time. So this is that again. It doesn't have to be now, but it can be something in the future. What I really like about this, for the first time in forever, maybe since Adam Cole lost the title, and I include the Kyle O'Reilly feud in this, they have done quite an effective job of showing me an Adam Cole match I want. You know that problem with the logjam at the top of NXT? They've given me something... Ah, that's not fair, actually, because I, I really enjoyed the Pat McAfee feud, but something that feels a bit more longer term. You know, something that's going to last more than like this, a couple of takeovers or whatever. I want to see this in the, the long and distant future, which gives me a reason to want to keep watching Adam Cole every week. Relatively effective job for this match. Um, I hope... That, I've got a feeling this is going to carry a takeover because they're going to... Cole wins this for the need for a decider, doesn't he? Mm. You, you would think. I'm sort of over it if they can deliver like a decent match next week. Adding a fourth match to the Great American Bash gave me hope that this isn't going to go 40 minutes. Um, I hope it's made for television rather than made for the limitless network minutes. So, yeah, I, I'm it's good, but I'm done with it, I think. I'm ready for the, a blow-off, and I kind of sense one isn't coming. Yeah, I mean, if this is the blow-off, they've peaked it. Not hard to pick it, um, in my opinion, um, but they have picked it nonetheless. Uh, there was a few backstage segments uh, following that angle, basically Tanshaw uh, swearing revenge on Jake Atlas and Mercedes Martinez. The battery is at 71%. Uh, there was some stuff with Hit Row, just to remind you that the main event is in fact happening. And then we got to um, Tanshaw versus Jake Atlas and Mercedes Martinez in a match that um, I didn't think was neither now nor summit until the uh well disaster the absolute mm. terrifying disaster at the finish of it um obviously everything was overshadowed i legitimately can't remember anything because that was such a scary moment that everything else appeared to be immaterial um just to expand on that for those who haven't seen um nxt um or just want to catch up with it on this review um zia lee tried to do her version of the black mass um to Mercedes Martinez, she got so close that there was no room for error and she made a massive one. She cracked Mercedes Martinez flush in the side of the head and the way in which Mercedes Martinez fell was genuinely quite disturbing. Um, she landed right on her head, which you know is the instant tell of this is a shoot, this is a shoot, this is a terrifying situation. Um, in fact, it was so precarious that they didn't even work an impromptu finish, if it was in fact not the actual finish, um, they wouldn't even let Xylee mount the cover. It was like, right, no, get out, get away. She was in, she was in like a fetal position because of the way she'd fallen. It wasn't a natural placement because it wasn't a natural wrestling move. Was it? it was just, I mean, you couldn't do it. This is truly quite disturbing. Um, yeah, head first, like that's when you know like trouble is actually abound. Um, I can't remember the name of the reporter. I would like to. Um, just a guess in case it gets misinterpreted, but um, apparently Mercedes Martinez was checked out backstage and then sent to hospital. So our thoughts are with her. We can only hope that it's not a significant head injury. Um, but yeah, this is scary. There's nothing else to say other than uh, who cares about the match when something like this happens. Yeah, it's, it's a really weird one. This We've talked about this. Um, I feel like we've probably talked about it more on the AEW reviews than the NXT ones because we said it. Sounds a bit ghoulish, but like sometimes you can make these injuries or these big moments, I guess, where something goes horribly wrong, where used correctly, there can be, a, assuming that Mercedes Martinez is eventually fine, there can be a, a benefit to it, you know? Like, I think AEW's done a brilliant job of taking similar moments or botches or anything like this and finding a way to like creatively introduce it into the story in a way that doesn't betray the severity of the original incident. And Working on the assumption that Mercedes Martinez recovers and all is well, which we don't know as we're recording this, but working on those optimistic assumptions. Um, and again, I don't want to come across Gaulish. Like this could be quite good for Chan Shah. Like the, you can well imagine the replays, the slow motions, the sit downs with Mercedes Martinez. The, they could talk about, like they could actually have Mercedes Martinez finally be instilled with genuine fear. She is not scared of a thousand year old dragon ghost. She is scared of the power that that dragon ghost has instilled into the feet of uh, Xylee. It's something along those lines. Again, this could be weeks, months off as we're recording this. But you want to hope 
that's the end result because otherwise this just stands as a monument, something quite sad. It'd be nicer if down the road they could make something of this because it did take away from any realistic conversation about the match or anything else. Yeah, it would be a very wrestling thing to do, but but the being the best possible outcome. I hope that wrestling can actually do that um, yeah. in the weeks and months to come. Up next was a segment that was almost too effective for making me like one tag team. <laughs> I really like the other following it. Um, it was the advertised um, face-to-face between Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher. Um, Ciampa was up, ne- uh, up first. He was talking about how Toothless Timmy... They call him Double T at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Double T, Timothy Thatcher. I want to buy that T-shirt. That's how <laughs> into the goddamn act I am. Um, they were talking about how, in fact, MSK being smaller, younger, less grizzled, less experienced, are in fact the underdogs. Um, MSK took umbrage to that. There was the threat of a fight. Tommaso Champa looked like a goddamn ass-kicking killer here. He held Timothy Thatcher back, he grabbed uh, one of MSK by the head and just very gently whispered in his ear, like, that's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. It's like the badass in the bar with the shred of compassion to know how much he's going to hurt mm. you, worse than the guy who's just going to beat you senseless because he's just an absolute dunce. Like, I thought that, uh, Thatcher gets it now. He gets yeah. how to be a TV star. He Gets how he uses facials and that just the slow reveal of those battered teeth. Um, Champa was just outstanding. I honestly thought, like under their shadow, MSK looked like they did bitch moves, and their talk mm. was a bit hollow, which was not good considering the titles are around their waist. But man, if ever there was a segment that made me want to see a title switch, this was it for better or worse. Yeah, they kind of like leaned a little bit too hard on like that kind of young punks aesthetic up against these old grizzled guys I think you probably needed it to be a little bit more 50-50 like you needed MSK to come out with a bit more respect than they did in this one I think what I will say there's going to be we'll review bad NXTs in the future we'll review bad or let down takeovers in the future I know that but possibly I've never been so confident as to say feel like NXT has emerged from its nadir like conclusively now I feel confident to say it because this segment specifically didn't fail like, I had no faith in their ability to produce a segment like this because it just didn't make sense to me. It didn't feel like the teams were suited to what had been given to them, you know, which, you know, for all of the Wednesday Night War, pretty much, NXT was making misfires and missteps of how best to deploy and use its incredibly talented roster. Um, and yet, I think they more than got away with this. I think I think you're right to a point where the Thatcher and Champer almost came across as too much of the baby faces that you kind of want to root for them. And that's maybe not the best dynamic to lean on for this tag match next week because ultimately you're going to want to see Thatcher and Champa cut off some awesome MSK stuff and then MSK fight and win and earn their respect at the end that's got to be how that match plays out otherwise it's simply I don't think it I don't think it scams otherwise um, but as I say this wasn't a failure it didn't feel cheesy it didn't feel cheap it didn't feel forced it was a billion million miles from that time that ahead of a takeover they stood all the opponents against each other yes. in face-offs like this, that is that Nadir that I'm talking about NXT emerging from. And I think it has because this, by all rights, should have been awkward at best and embarrassing at worst. And I think it was relatively effective in getting you hyped to see a cool match. So, like, job done there. And just, uh, like, this and the main event had a bit of a restorative effect. It, a lot of the show actually had a bit of a restorative effect in that regard. It's worth reiterating just the turnaround on Tommaso Ciampa. I could not have been less interested in him as a performer, as a character, from virtually the dawn of the uh, Wednesday Night Wars. But the whole thing was ice cold. I think everything he did subsequent to that was directionless and or just sheer parody. And then I just think he's tits again. Like, he's done so well to rehab um, his aura, his sort of credibility, his work's been immaculate. Like, I just can't say enough good things about Tommaso Ciampa, and it's worth repeating. Um, William Regal was um, backstage being interviewed um, about the upcoming Great American Bash, and I'm guessing that Soraya versus Tony Storm, as requested by just utterly charming, what an utterly charming babyface Soraya appeared mm. um, to be in this segment. The fact that the topic of conversation was followed by the request for a match 
makes me think that that match is going to happen with Great American Bash. Thank Christ, because it reduces yeah. the perspective runtime of Cole O'Reilly there too. That is a cool out of nowhere match, the type of which a like a diverse roster can provide. And I got like a nice feeling from that. That's very much um, next week on Dynamite graphic. Everything yeah. you didn't know, you didn't know you wanted, but they've got the roster to facilitate it. And I, I love that. Like this show can still do that sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. The battery's at eighty-one percent now. Oh, get it. Well, if you look at the ratio of uh, charges, <laughs> the battery is going to reach one hundred at uh, Great American Bash. Um, so hang what, on, are we saying that it's not nineteen forever? So Tegan Knox is going to pull herself together. Uh, yeah, if you if you want. <laughs> It's not here. Wilborn's not, not here. here. He's not here. Where is it? Inhabiting weekend at Wilborn's. Starring <laughs> Mike Pamphlet. Wilborn. <laughs> Just carrying around. Me and you carrying around a dead Wilborn. <laughs> it would be dark, but, you know, it would be the lightness I needed. So those are like three more characters for our Wilborn's world narrative. This <laughs> yeah. like, it's awful alien life thoughts. The big twist of Wilborn's world is like he's dead. It's getting dark. <laughs> <laughs> More Karrion uh, Cross and Johnny Gargano stuff, which we have covered. And then it was time for the main event. Bronson Reed versus Isaiah Swerve Scott. I would describe this as good, potentially enforced slash necessary. But I still was reminded of just how much these guys have fought one another. And um, you forget how much they've worked together um, until you see some of the spots. Bronson Reed thwarting the um, the leapfrog by splatter him on the canvas. It's always fun, but it's like, right, I've seen this. Um, Swerve Scott also um, was sat on when he tried to um, deliver a um, sunset flip powerbomb to the outside. I like Bronson Reed's face during this moment. He looked like just a mischievous boy. <laughs> and the worst thing about it is that any of this charm is going to die potentially by Monday. Yeah. If that's where he's going and when he's going to it, which seems to be the direction. Like, he's going to go from, well, he's not cool, but you can tell he's a nice bloke and enough of that radiates on TV. You're going to resent this in Bronson mm-hmm. Reed. So, oh my God. Um, but beyond that, um, heat sequence, the control sequence. Swerve Scott's still a tremendous worker who can still do different ways to try and um, topple this beast in ways that I haven't seen in the previous matches, so credit to him for that because you have to presume this was kind of arranged at the last minute, so they could have went on autopilot. They did not. I saw a lot of creativity. Um, I was convinced as well that's the main thing by um, Swerve Scott's offense. It was a bit mid, if I'm being honest, it wasn't exactly a great title match on TV, but I did like the spot when Top Dollar got absolutely brained through the plexiglass. That looked absolutely awesome. It was the best thing he's ever done. Um, bar's pretty low in that regard. And in the end, for me, they balanced it just enough where it wasn't an obvious chicanery, but Bronson Reed probably might would have won had um, Hit Row not been at ringside. But it was as definitive as a heel win is going to get on WWE TV for Swerve Scott. I think the structure of the match was more impressive than the action in the match was compelling. Yeah, totally agree. Um, this was a, an angle-heavy match more than it was a match. But if anything, I'd say that's sometimes what NXT misses. Yeah. I know we kind of complain on Dynamite that every single match, like when there's a night of run-ins or there's a night of stable wars happening around the ring, um, that it can feel a bit like overkill. On NXT, there's not enough of that. So I, I actually welcomed it here, um, especially because, and again, as you say, if this was a, a short-term choice, it was one that they absolutely like maximised and made the best of. Because last week we talked about, um, and you know, formerly of this parish, oh, how we missed another rise, not being... Like bloodied or battered in a way that particularly made Hit Row seem that effective, this did it. Interference that worked, a group that functioned as a group working towards the sole aim of its leader. You know, like Bronson Reed had this issue in the first place with the way, so it kind of tacitly puts him over that, like, in a steel cage scenario, in a one-on-one scenario, Bronson Reed gets it done. With the numbers disadvantage, he's just as liable to lose as anybody else. So I thought that was, like, totally effective for Bronson Reed as a loser and Hit Row as the winners. Um... Not a great deal of takeaways from the match, but I will say that what's so cool about 
Swerve using the um, springboard 450 on uh, um, Bronson's back is that it like it just gave him all that more hang time. So though you've just watched interference and things going awry, that's your takeaway as well. They they are having the cake and eating it. Like yes, the heels are cheated, but like look what he's got in his back pocket. Like he's pretty much touching the roof of the CWC when he comes down on Bronson Reed. So he's got that if he absolutely has to need it. He just because he's a bit of a bastard now, we'd rather cheat and use his mates first. So I thought like a, like a, a really good choice of a way to finish and actually win the title, and like a nice a really really nice shock. Um, and again, to go back to what we said at the start, like hopefully a welcome return of call-ups because this is what it's all about. And this is Triple H talking absolute bollocks. And he always does. In that press conference, uh, guys used to whinge that people were always getting called up. No, we didn't. No, we absolutely, you've just no. made up something no. there. Like, so ideal if this is Bronson Reed's write-off because write-offs are good. Yes, absolutely. It's needed. I wouldn't have picked Bronson Reed personally. I would have picked like... Gargano Cole or O'Reilly, but again, not to get too to wade too deeply into these waters. Jesus Christ, I might well call now. It would appear <laughs> they would get screwed. But it's like, what kind of curse do you want? Do you want to be cursed to watch these guys work on NXT and fade into irrelevance, which is so harsh considering how talented they are? Or do you want this process to be accelerated by having Adam Cole be small on Raw in Vince McMahon's eyes? Who the hell knows? Um, but that brought the show to a close, and honestly, it was the most high I've been on NXT for a while. Um, the in-ring action was what it was, but it didn't need to be anything great. This week's TV informed the greatness to come. I'm going to be pissed off if Great American Bash isn't good, but I, honestly, I think it's going to be better than any takeover from this year. Like, I truly believe that. I think you're right. I, it's, the build's been strong. It's been careful. They've arrived, it's like we said about O'Reilly and Cole specifically, they've peaked most things at just the right time. There's actual intrigue back. I think that's what, especially in your house, um, but I think you could probably argue that for stand and deliver as well. I think that's what much of those takeover matches lacked, was the, the sense that the story wasn't quite strong enough. This bash feels like the kind of some good culmination booking, so hopefully there's going to be that nice feeling of at least one or two things that are conclusive, as well as obviously... NXT's need to be episodic. I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about the bash next week, which I didn't think I'd be able to say when they first announced it was going to be happening. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we're interested in your thoughts on the Great American Bash next week. If it can, if in, uh, if it can in fact eclipse anything um, offered from Takeover this year, uh, you can let us know your thoughts at What Culture WWE on Twitter. Whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can follow me at M. Sidgwick. Again, follow us all at What Culture, what culture WWE. God damn it, Wilborn, you're so good at this. And uh, <laughs> we'll see you soon. Later today, in fact. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.